Hello, everyone, and welcome back in to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by a wonderful guest today. We have the playwright and performer Denise Fleming joining us on our show today to talk to us about her great one-woman mystery piece, Winter Kill. This is a very exciting piece that we're hoping to see this coming fall in New York City. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Denise. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Welcome. Thank you for coming. (laughs) I am so happy to have you on the show today. This is a great way to start (laughs) our, our, our big day of interviews. You are such a wonderful artist, and you have got this great show, Winter Kill. Could you tell us a bit more about it? Winter Kill is a one-woman, three-character show. It is a very simple story of a successful professor's life, which is reinvestigated by a tenacious detective The doors open and darkness in her life is revealed. Well, talk about a hook there. I mean, (laughs) I literally was leaning in and I'm like, Ad, Ad, we have to come see the show now. That's what I said. (laughs) That's what I want, actually. (laughs) How did you come up with the idea for this show? I was mesmerized by the Manson killers. I was mesmerized by the book In the Belly of the Beast. I was mesmerized by a newspaper article that I read where to the outside world, this little boy had the perfect family, the perfect upbringing. Everything was perfect. And one day he came home, closed all of the blinds and shot and killed his family. I was mesmerized. What could have happened behind those blinds that set him off? What could have happened? The Manson killers, the ability for the presumed powerful over the presumed powerless affecting their brains. In the belly of the beast, it is an environment that controlled that character. And in today's world, the presumed powerful over the powerless is still involved in our daily makeup and the ability of an environment to control you to do the things that you do. I love all of that. Wow. (laughs) Now, what has it been like developing this show in particular? Well, after people have seen it, One of the questions they always ask me is, what do you do with it when you're not performing? And the answer is, in terms of its development, I watch humanity. 
I watch the television. I watch newspaper articles. Because I believe that the person that we allow the world to see is really not who we are. And by watching television, by listening to the radio, by reading, you get a sense of where we are in humanity. I take those ideas, and that is all part of the development in how I write. Because things that bother me, I have to write about it. I think as an artist, in terms of developing, I am a mirror. I reflect humanity to give the audience a chance to see where we are on this topic so that they can arrive at their own truthfulness about where we are. They can't be fooled by the media. They can't be fooled by a newspaper article. It is something that they have to see and feel. And in the theater, you have that opportunity to develop those issues so that the audience can see and feel exactly where we are. And utilizing the theater is an imperative force of communication that allows the audience to deal with very difficult issues softly because the theater takes something so difficult in our world and it lands softly. And the power of the visual allows the audience to develop their own truth. That's fantastic. I love that. Now, Winterkill has been performed before. Yes. So when did you first develop the show? When did you first perform it? Initially, I developed this as an MFA thesis at the University of Southern California. And I must say, the first time I produced this and, and, and performed it, the issues that I had was that the script, I could hear the mistakes in it. I could hear when it became disjointed. And for me, in my performances, I used to hear all of the mistakes in the script. But I also realized when you consistently write one person shows, it is a very, very lonely venture. And the only voice you are hearing is mine. How boring is that? So I began to seek out other opinions. I had people, I begged them, could you just watch this and tell me what you think? And little by little by little, like a puzzle, 
the pieces began to link up. And there is now a truthfulness in this script, which I am so proud of. Wonderful. Is there a message or a thought that you're hoping that audiences will take away from this show? Winter Kill focuses on very difficult issues. Unfortunately, these issues are still relevant in our world. It's on the television. It's on the radio. It's in newspapers. So my hope is that by continually performing this, I keep reminding people not to forget because it's still out there. And as a performer, I demand when you are in my audience that you focus on the reality of this topic. It hasn't gone away yet. It hasn't softened yet. It is still in our world. And that bothers me. I love that you're using this show as a vessel to bring that to people's attention. And my job as an artist is to put this in front of you. I force you. I force you to look at this. Now, I can tell you, in some performances, there are audience members that have talked back to me during the performance. There have been people that have gotten up, walked out, and came back. There have been people. There was a woman when I was getting ready to leave the theater, and she was standing in the hallway. She took my hand. There were tears in her eyes. She did not speak a word. She just looked at me. And one other woman who was deaf, who came to see me perform, she went home and she embroidered a face that she saw me make. It affected her so greatly. It, it, she was drawn in by my movements. She could not hear a word I said. But the movement affected her so greatly that she made this embroidery of a face that is in the show. That's incredible. And that is a good lead into my final question for this first part, which is, who do you hope have access to the show? I think anyone under 18 would be severely impacted by its reality. I don't hold anything back. I put it all out there. I think people in their 20s and above will realize what I'm talking about, what I'm showing them. So in every performance in the program, I always ask no one under 18 and no children 
It's it it's just too much. And I don't want people below 18 or a little person to hear this topic, but to be under the influence of fear. I want the audience to hear me. There are many moments where fear comes into it, but fear must be a reaction to our reality and how we can fix this issue. I want to switch things up for our second part of the interview and give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better on a, on a personal level. I want to start by asking you what or who inspires you? What playwrights or composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? I would say my favorite playwright is Paula Volcker, who wrote how I learned to drive. This is a playwright, a very successful playwright that deals in reality. Whether you like it or not, she is going to write it and she's going to put it out there. And when I saw how I learned to drive, I listened to the audience. I listened to their sounds. I heard, and oh, brilliant because she was focusing in on things that in humanity, whether we like it or not, it exists. And people were forced to sit there, to listen, and to realize this is not a joke. This is real. And once again, the theater was utilized as an imperative form of communication on this particular topic. And in terms of writing about realistic, humanistic nature, there's nobody better than Paula Vogel. She, she's just got it. <laughs> yeah. so. And I... a much older playwright for me, Tennessee Williams, because he had a way of writing about the frailties of human nature, uh, what people felt or what characters felt in terms of, of loneliness, what characters felt in terms of adjusting to changing atmospheres. He had a way of presenting that and the way he did it was far softer, I think, than Paula's How I Learned to Drive. Because How I Learned to Drive and Indecent, it just, wow, <laughs> came right at you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, building on that, have you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? 
the theater that I did see was the performance of Sean Hayes and Jody Comer, both of which were one-person shows. There were other characters in Sean Hayes' theater, but it was basically him. He was wonderful. He was incredible. He was wonderful. And to think, well, to realize that usually actors that are proficient in comedy are devastated in drama. And he was. Wow. <laughs> Let me ask you, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? The ability to show people humanity, to strip all of our clothing down to a form of nakedness so that you are sitting and having to swallow what I'm giving you. And, and, and that ability to show people where we are on this topic is so important to me. And once again, it establishes the power of the theater. There are many powerful films, many, many, many. But when people sit in a movie house, they have a certain amount of protection because of the screen. I am not giving you any protection. I am going to reach out there and the power of the theater is going to allow me to draw you in. And that, that's the power of an actor or an actress, that ability to draw you in. In film, you have an actor like Robert De Niro. There again, that is someone that inhabits the role. I dare say, if you go to see Robert De Niro perform, you will never forget it. You'll never forget it because he does it. His physical is truthful. His vocal is truthful. The emotions that he sends out from a particular character is truthful. He comes from a very truthful point. And that's what I do. I'm mm. honest, whether you like it or not. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, now we have come to my favorite question to ask guests. And that is, what is your favorite theater memory? When I was a very little girl, I had an aunt who lived in New York. And every summer I would come to visit her and we would go to the theater, we would go to the ballet, we would go to the art galleries. I was mesmerized. I always knew at one point that I would live in New York City, but I knew that I wasn't ready then because I firmly believe when you come to New York and you live in New York, 
your head has to be on really straight because the moment you walk out of your door, humanity is at you. And especially in today's world, you have to be ready to accept humanity. And I say accept because you cannot ignore these people because they're people. So you have to have a way of dealing with them, which is not demeaning because they're human beings. And I always knew because of my aunt that one day, one day I would live in this city. And there's one other one. My parents brought me to New York to see Funny Girl. I, we were standing outside of the theater waiting for a car and I was standing in front of the door and the door opened and the door went right into my shoulder. I turned around. The person put her arms on both of my shoulders. It was Barbara Streisand. I turned and my father said, that's her, Denise, that's her. Move, run, she's getting in the car. I could not move. And I said to them, after we came back from New York, I said to my mother and my father, I said, you know, that was a sign. I, I'm an actress. And I'm supposed to go to New York because Barbara Streisand, she touched me. I said, that doesn't happen to everyone. And I took that as my message of truth, that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And ever since then, I have done that. I have never faltered. I have never wondered what I wanted to do with my life. I've always known. Always. And when I was a little girl and the family would come over for <laughs> Christmas dinner, I became the holiday players. I would perform. I would hold my family hostage <laughs> you have to watch me you, okay the dinner's getting cold but that's okay you have to watch me <laughs> I've been this way my entire life but I knew when Barbara Streisand put her on that was it that was a sign and I had to come to New York and it's been a very interesting ride <laughs> <laughs> because I am dealing in New York with the thing that I love the most, and that is humanity. Love it, love it. And I always say to myself as I walk out of the front door, okay, humanity, entertain me. And boy, do they. <laughs> that is incredible. Wow. Yeah. Story. Wow. I, <laughs> yeah. You if you had gone into any other profession, I'd be like, no, no, 
You no. were touched by by the Barbara, literally touched by the Barbara Trust. You have touched. the gift now. Like it was passed. It could have been. It could have been anybody else standing in front of that door. But it was you. But it was me. It was like you have to be. <laughs> My here. father's like, go, go. She's getting in the car. I could not move. That. I was. Oh my god. What an incredible memory. Thank and you. when she oh, called me my dear, I, I, oh my God, she called me my dear. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing that. Well, are there any other projects or productions you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Well, there are, uh, Eclipsed is about racism and segregation that bothers me. Headline is a new one that I've just begun to write. It focuses in on two topics that bother me, senior abuse and the loneliness that seniors, especially women that they deal with. For some of them, it ends in alcoholism. For some of them, it ends in suicide. There are not enough ears on the senior population. That population is only going to get bigger as the baby boomers walk into those roles of being senior. What are you going to do with these people? Because it's going to get worse if we don't start thinking about it now. Well, if our listeners want more information about Winterkill or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Either through Jay or through my email, which I'll happily give out. Hard. H-A-R-D underscore earned E-A-R-N-E-D at Verizon.net. And a lot of people say to me, Denise, this is hard earned. Has it been that hard? Yes. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> good in this world is ever easy. It's that is correct. You have to, as an artist, you have to realize, yeah, this is difficult. And what is it? If this is what I want, you got to go for it. Or Absolutely. else you will be very unhappy in your life. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And what would make it special? Absolutely. And I will tell your audience, they can email me at any time. I will respond. They can even go on hard earned on Facebook. They can post there. But if they email me, you can tell them, expect an answer because I will answer. <laughs> I love it. Well, Denise, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us. This it has was been wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, this is incredible. I could talk to you all day. Okay, so let's go out to breakfast. Yes. I hope we get to have you back on again soon. I would love it. And I am so excited to see Winter Kill. So thank you so much. Thank you. And and my best to your wife. That sounds 
fabulous what she is doing. Fabulous. Thank you. So I will pass that on to her. So thank you so much. And have a wonderful, wonderful day. You as well. My guest today has been the playwright and performer, Denise Fleming, whose show Winterkill is hoping to have an upcoming run this fall here in New York City. And we'll keep you posted about that. It's a brilliant one-woman mystery piece, as you heard. A brilliant thriller, as it were. (laughs) Can't wait to see it ourselves. She's got several other plays and works available out there, and you can check them out. You can also reach out to her by emailing her at hard underscore earned at verizon.net, and she will write back. So make sure you reach out to her and just follow this amazing artist. She's a hoot, and she's creating some great work. So check her out. Check out her new work, Winter Kill. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unlock your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.